Hi, I'm Joy. Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Girlish Gurus. And Susan, why are we here? We are here to start a conversation about female empowerment and the issues facing women our age at this time, and to have some fun along the way. So let's get started. Okay. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than the last few we've done. That's because it's about a very specific topic of which I am not an expert, but Joy definitely is. So she is going to be leading us as far as information goes. I'm going to just be asking questions that I think would be of interest to our listeners and to me on this subject. And the subject is women and money. It's a big one. Which is a big one. And it's an important one, no matter your age, but especially as middle age towards retirement is coming, it's very important. So first of all, Joy, I'm going to ask you to give us a little bit of information on your background that could provide some insight as to how you gained all this expertise, the knowledge that you've put together. I mean, you've got so many resources and things that you've developed for people in this area. But let us hear a little bit about your background so people know. Well, I am a bankruptcy attorney. That's the easiest way to say it in a nutshell. And also, I came to that naturally because as a child, my parents were not great at managing money and filed bankruptcy when I was probably seven years old. And then when I was eight, promptly got divorced. (laughs) So I have not only the professional background of being a consumer bankruptcy attorney for a number of years, but I also have that personal experience of coming from an economically suppressed (laughs) family. You've lived through it. Yeah, I've lived through it. That is sort of the fundamental, the foundation of my expertise. Now, in 2015-ish, I had an epiphany. And that epiphany was basically, I'm not really helping anyone get ahead of it. And so... In 2015, I decided to start working on teaching people basic personal finance techniques, very simple and easy to understand, so you can learn financial literacy in an easy and fun way. And that's when I started newcashview.com, and I wrote my book, Money Basics. Actually, Money Basics came first, and then newcashview.com came second. And then I started developing online courses and things like that to teach people basic personal finance. So in the last three years, right before the pandemic, I was focusing on student loans. Because again, there's something I have personal experience with. And professional experience too, I would file a lot of bankruptcies for people and they would come out the other side still having substantial student loan debt. And so I started focusing on that. And I wrote a book about that, Parents Guide to Better Borrowing. I developed two online courses designed to teach about federal student loan debt. And then the pandemic hit. And here we are. Okay, so let's start then talking about the book and New Cash View and why you felt that was necessary, what the basics of that are, like the basic principles of that. Can you kind of walk us through all of that? Okay, so 
personal finance is not rocket science, but it's not something that we teach in school. And we should. We should, right? I agree. We don't take kids through basic principles of personal finance or financial literacy. And there's really not a whole lot to it, generally speaking. I mean, you don't have to be some type of financial prodigy to understand how to manage your money effectively and how to build wealth. Okay, it's not that complicated. But we don't teach it in school. And as a consequence, our parents, generally speaking, my parents specifically, didn't know enough about basic money management to teach it to me. And as a result, they wound up in bankruptcy. As most bankruptcy attorneys will tell you, bankruptcy and family law, meaning bankruptcy and divorce, go hand in hand. So part of the issue with my parents' marriage was they weren't great at managing money, and so it caused a lot of tension and friction between them, okay? That's, a, I think, a big issue for a lot of oh, marriages, right? Huge. That's probably the number one. I, I would say it's probably the number one reason. One a lot of two. people have problems in their marriage, but there's a couple of other big ones that are up there. But money is definitely a big one. My parents, both good people, genuinely good people, they just couldn't manage money, and they couldn't teach it to me. And so as a kid, I said to myself, I'm not going to struggle, And so I embarked on a path, sort of a zigzag path, (laughs) of trying to figure that out for myself. But part of that path included becoming a bankruptcy attorney because I watched how the process of bankruptcy really helped my family. As a result of that, they did move forward and never accumulated the same amount of debt again. Now, I do want to briefly talk about a couple of fundamentals in money basics that I think are going to be really relevant to this podcast episode and educating people about personal finance. I really felt like the best way I could begin helping people really help people was to teach them some basic personal finance techniques. And that's why I sat down and wrote money basics and money basics is a simple, it's fun to read. It's not complicated to read. It's large print (laughs) and it's double spaced. (laughs) So it's very, very easy for someone who I would consider to be my average client to sit down and look through and read and grasp financial literacy in a very short period of time. Okay, so knowledge is power. And this book can be that power for women as This is what we wanted to kind of talk about today. So can you just quickly name those five things? Okay, so so just quickly, live within your means, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, don't continue accumulating debt. Mm -hmm. Number three, save a consistent percentage of your income. Number four, don't just save it, invest it. And number five, take advantage of your employer sponsored retirement plan if you have access to it. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so we've got the five basics. Let's get into a couple other areas that can impact women at our age, in our age group and older, and that would be the credit debt issue and maybe student loans, whether they're personal student loans or for your children. Exactly. Because as we have come to find out, (laughs) student loans can affect you well into retirement. Okay, a lot of people don't understand that. My area of expertise really, because I'm a bankruptcy attorney, centers on credit and debt management. That's really an area of expertise that I have spent a lot of time developing materials designed to help people figure out where they're at in their situation 
and what kind of help they need. And that's something if you want to find more information on, you can go to my website, newcashview.com and look around there. You could start by just getting a copy of my Money Basics book and looking through chapter seven. And chapter seven is all about your credit management. Now, the way to begin getting your credit under control is to first understand your numbers. And I've always said, and I'm sure I'm not the first person who said this, but you can't manage it if you don't measure it. So you really have to know what your numbers are. You have to understand what your budget is. You have to understand all of the debt that you have. And you need to understand what the interest rates are on all of your debts. You need to understand when your monthly payment is. You need to know all of those things. And once you know those things, then you can begin to figure out a plan of attack. And there's a couple of different rules of thumb on, or schools of thought, I should say, on how to address debt. And this is before getting to the point of bankruptcy. Again, if your unsecured debt equals a third of your gross pay every year or your gross income every year, then you might want to consider speaking with a qualified bankruptcy attorney in your jurisdiction. But if it's not at that point, then, or I should also say, you might want to speak with a bankruptcy attorney if you find yourself upside down on your mortgage or your car payment and you need to figure out a way to manage that. That could be something a bankruptcy attorney can help you with. But if you are at a situation where you think you can still manage your unsecured debt on your own, then there are two schools of thought that you could possibly use to begin working on paying that debt down. The first school of thought is using the snowball method. Now, there's another popular money guru out there who talks about this at length. I don't want to step on any toes. And I I have to say, if you're using a system of personal finance that works for you, then I am all for it. I'm all for it. If it's working for you, do it. Use it. If it's not working for you, though, you might need to keep looking. (laughs) But the first school of thought that's advocated by this popular personal finance guru out there is the snowball method. And that is to attack the smallest debts first. And that gives you a psychological boost because you are accomplishing a goal of paying off these small debts. I agree with using that technique if it's going to work for you. The second school of thought is the avalanche method. And that is attack the debt with the highest interest rate first. And the reason that is a popular school of thought is because mathematically speaking, it works better than the snowball effect. Now, it's going to take you longer depending on what your balances are. And your balance is going to accumulate faster if you have a higher interest rate, right? However, and I'm talking about unsecured debt in this scenario. However, If you can attack those debts with the highest interest rate first, you're going to save yourself more money over time because of the accumulation of interest, right? right? That makes sense, right? So mathematically speaking, the avalanche method is better. It just doesn't have the same psychological boost as the snowball method. But whatever works for you, and I will say this also, personal finance is not one size fits all. Right. You can't say this one template or technique in its purest form is going to work 
for everyone because not everyone's situation is the same. Not everyone has the same ratios of secured and unsecured debt. Okay? They don't. So you're just going to need to use whatever method works best for you. And the goal is, of course, to get yourself out of debt. But all you need to really do is show up, make an effort, try, and you'll be amazed at the results you can get if you can just put in a little bit of effort. Part of that is simply being organized and not being afraid of it. Mm -hmm. It's so intimidating to see debt accumulate and mount. It is. And I totally understand that. But you also have to understand that you are not your finances. That's just a number. And I know people are going to say, oh, it's easy for you to say whatever. But I, I have been there. I do understand. But you're not your finances. You cannot measure your self-worth against your bottom line, right. whether it be positive or negative. Let me ask you, I'm going to throw a topic out there in relation to this is, what do you think of bill consolidation? Ooh. Okay. So that you're instead of paying off maybe six credit cards or loans or whatever, those they they accumulate them together and then you're making one payment. What are your thoughts about that? So it depends on your situation. It depends on your circumstance. What I will tell you is this. Generally speaking, it is not a good idea to use the equity in your home to consolidate unsecured debt. Now, if you're going to go out and get another signature loan, what we would call a signature loan in the world of finance, to consolidate unsecured debts, then you have to weigh the monthly savings against the ability to pay off individual debts and how much money that will save you in the long run. So you have to consider whether or not it's going to be a smart thing for you to roll low interest debt in with high interest debt unless you're getting a very low interest rate altogether. You've, you've got to really think about how long you're going to be in that loan and what the interest rate's going to be and the monthly payment. Mm -hmm. So again, we're going to call those the terms of the loan. If in the long run, you feel like it's going to give you a low monthly payment and it's going to be a low accumulation of interest, so a low interest rate, then that might be a good idea for you. I'm not going to judge anyone who makes that kind of a decision if it factors well into their day-to-day -day personal finance plan. But I am going to strongly encourage you not to use your house as a bank. Yes. Because a good rule of thumb is, if at all possible, you can pay your mortgage off by the time you're 60, then you need to try to do that. You need to try to be out of debt, meaning no mortgage and no car payment, if at all possible. Now, I know, generally speaking, people are healthier Past the age of 60, people are living longer, they're working more and working a lot longer. If that's the case, you still need to be in that mortgage for a period of time. I totally get it. But a rule of thumb I've always heard in the world of bankruptcy is if you can be debt free by the time you're 60, specifically have paid off your mortgage by the time you're 60, then you're going to be in pretty good shape. So does that answer your question? <laughs> I mean, literally... This is an onion that we can peel and peel oh, and peel. I know, I know. No, I mean, I, I was just more thinking of options for people to pay down debt. 
You know, that is an option. Yeah, that is an option. A consolidation loan is an option. However, be very careful. Be very careful. Yeah. Make they sure can, they you, can bite you if you aren't uh, careful. Make sure you understand the terms. Yeah. And see specifically if you're going to be saving money over time. And there are a lot of debt calculators out there mm-hmm. that can help you figure out what you're going to pay in the long run. And you also have to understand what kind of debt you have. This is something I dig into in my credit management 101 course. But you have to understand the difference between revolving debt and amortized debt like a mortgage. So right. there's what I consider to be, well, secured debt and unsecured debt. Secured debt has collateral that underpins it. So if you default on the debt, the creditor can come and repossess the collateral, right? So that's like a mortgage or a car payment, right? right? Or a boat <laughs> for people out there who have boats. <laughs> but something that has collateral that secures that note Mm -hmm. and it could also be some other type of collateral you can use stock as collateral you can use i've seen people use firearms as collateral believe it or not and also in the uniform commercial code there are paper security interests that you can use so there's a lot of different things that you can use as collateral for notes okay now that's secured debt so that's one type of debt and that can be good debt or bad debt it just depends Then we have unsecured debt, which is credit card debt, medical debt, and student loans. That's also unsecured debt. And generally speaking, a lot of people think of unsecured debt as bad debt, but I actually think student loans can be good debt depending on how you manage it, right? Right. You have to understand what kind of debt you have before you can begin to manage it, which gets us into the topic of student loans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I tell you, this could be a whole other podcast episode, really, talking about student loans. And in fact, I've done a lot of other podcast episodes about student loans in my Dollar Llama podcast. We can talk about that more later. But anyway, does that answer your question? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Okay, Joy, I have a, another question related to this credit debt scenario. And that is, if you're trying to eliminate having debt, credit card, loans, whatever. Let's talk about the impact of canceling credit cards on your credit rating and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing and how and when you should do it or shouldn't do it. Okay, excellent question. This is actually a question I've gotten a fair amount of times over the years. The answer to that lies in understanding your credit utilization ratio. So your credit score is based on an analysis of your credit reports. Okay. And that credit score takes a lot of things into account. And one of the things it takes into account is your credit utilization ratio. So how much credit do you have available to you at any given time? How much debt you have So effectively, how much of that credit are you using and how long have you had that credit available to you? And are you making your regular payments on time? Generally speaking, your credit utilization ratio should stay between 10 and 20%. Okay, the rule of thumb typically has been in the past that I've always heard is you shouldn't use more than 30% of your available credit. But again, personal finance isn't one size fits all. Right. 
So you want to keep that in mind. And you also want to remember that we're talking about your credit score here. And your credit score is something that you can't really 100% know unless you have a hard pull on your credit reports. And that would be typically used for, say, for example, getting a mortgage or buying a car or something like that. For you to really know what your credit score is, you're not going to know with some of these real-time credit reporting platforms that tout, oh, know what your credit score is in real time. Those are basically estimates given what your current credit situation is. To really know what your credit score is, again, you would have to get a hard pull from a creditor who is trying to provide you with a loan of some sort. So I just want you to understand off the top that your credit score is kind of a shifting thing (laughs) based on a lot of different algorithms and proprietary calculations and equations that we don't always have access to, okay? So understand, if you want to know what your credit utilization ratio is, you're going to need to really have a good handle on how much credit you actually have and how much debt you have in conjunction with that credit. So that's your credit utilization ratio. And that includes all those things I mentioned before, understanding how many accounts you have open, how long they've been open, and how much of that credit you're actually using. And in order to really determine how much that is, There's two ways you can basically determine your credit utilization ratio. The first way is you can get all of your statements and accounts and go through each statement, figure out how much debt you have on each individual account and then for your revolving credit accounts. Okay. And then you can compare that with the available credit and you'll be able to see how much you're using. The other thing you can do is you can get each of your credit reports from the big three credit reporting agencies, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian, and you can go through each of those credit reports, and you can see which accounts are open and what your balances are, and you'll be able to figure it out that way. Now, a lot of these credit cards and credit reporting agencies are starting to provide more services to show what your credit utilization ratios and things like that are, But that's something you can keep a running tally of yourself. And you should be doing that anyway. And one thing I do want to mention, this is something I talk about a lot in all of my products and materials, and that's the four-month rule. What most people don't understand is you are entitled to one free credit report per credit reporting agency per year. And that means you can be monitoring your credit reports yourself. You don't need to pay for a service or you don't need, and some of the services might even be free now. I don't know. I don't keep track of all that stuff anymore, (laughs) but there's so much out there that it's, it's become just such a cloud of information about credit reports and credit scores. People are so caught up with their credit scores that these platforms have basically made an industry out of providing and touting these, well, find out what your credit score is in real time services, right? However, I do believe that you should be monitoring your credit. And the way you do that is by using the four-month rule. Every four months, you can go on annualcreditreport.com and you can download 
a free credit report from Equifax, then four months later, Experian, then four months later, TransUnion. And you can read through and monitor your credit reports through each of those three printouts, basically. And that's something I do. I try to do it routinely. I put it on my calendar. I try to do it routinely. And that's something that you should be doing. And you can do that for free. So using those credit reports, there's a ton of information in there. Yeah. You can see what your credit utilization ratio is. Now, typically, they don't give you a credit score. Like I said before, a credit score is something that is just an estimate unless you're getting a hard pull from a creditor who's giving you a loan or a mortgage or something of that nature, right? And that's something a lot of people don't understand. These real-time credit scores that you can get through these credit monitoring services or whatever, they're just estimates. (laughs) Yeah, it's for that day that you pull it up. And I really do encourage people to monitor their credit reports themselves And that's a good way to start getting a handle on what your situation is. And also, this is something I go into in-depth in Credit Management 101. And it's something I think a lot of people don't really understand. And that is how to have things removed from your credit reports. Because your credit score is, again, calculated from the information contained in your credit reports. Right. A lot of people don't understand how the Fair Credit Reporting Act works and how to use it. A lot of people have this pie-in-the-sky idea of, oh, I can just hire somebody to get that off my credit, and that's not how things work, generally speaking. I talk about that a fair amount in the book, but I also go in-depth into that process in Credit Management 101 because that's something you can do on your own. You don't need to pay money to someone to hire them to do for you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people contact me still to this day asking, hey, can you help me clean up my credit or have this removed from, from my credit, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to understand how the process works. And once you do, you can do it yourself. And I explain it pretty clearly in all of my materials. This is a big topic. I mean, this could almost be one podcast in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Right? And maybe, maybe it should be. <laughs> so this segues nicely into student loans. Because again, a lot of women our age, 45 and older, are finding student loans to be an issue for them, whether it's their own student loans or they're taking out loans for their young adult children to go to college. And I think it's important for us to talk briefly about what it can mean if you don't manage your student loan debt very well. Because some people don't know that having student loans into retirement if you default on them, can affect your social security payments Mm -hmm. or can affect your tax refunds. So if you have federal student loan debt and you default on it, the Department of Treasury can offset your tax refund in order to pay that student loan debt. Wow. Mm -hmm. And if you have student loan debt that you default on, And you get to the age where it's time for Social Security to kick in. Then the Social Security Administration, which is part of the federal government, can garnish your Social Security payments. Now, they can't take your whole entire Social Security payment, but they can garnish your Social Security payment in order to pay your student loan debt. Wow. I'll bet a lot of people don't realize that. They don't. They really don't. That's huge. Now, it's just for federal student loan debt. Yeah. 
But there are some things you can do to manage that. And I've done some videos talking about that. I've created some materials talking about that. But in a nutshell, there's a couple things I would suggest if you have that as an issue. One being, if your Social Security payment is being garnished, that's something that you can appeal. You would need to go through the process to do that. And I'll put a link in the description of this episode about that process. I'm not going to get into it in depth here. But there is a way that you can try to address that garnishment if it's unfair or not accurate. And the other thing you can consider doing is enrolling in an income-based repayment plan. Because if your income is below a certain level, then you could conceivably have a $0 monthly student loan payment. And so while I have not seen that as a technique people have used to address their student loan debt into and beyond retirement, I do think that's a possibility, and I would strongly suggest you consider doing that in order to try to address your federal student loans. If you are approaching retirement age and you have federal student loan debt, that's one thing you might want to consider trying to do. Okay. All right. Okay. (laughs) Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. And I don't want to overload, but I feel like these are issues that we need to be discussing and we as women need to be talking about we need to be sharing as much information as we possibly can to help live an empowered lifestyle and financial empowerment is a big part of that it is Mm -hmm. it absolutely is because you know too a lot of women mid-age and later may go through a divorce and all of a sudden have to be responsible for their finances by themselves for the first time in a very long time, maybe ever. Mm -hmm. And that can be very scary. And as we said, intimidating. And so if you suddenly go through a divorce and you are on your own, to have this information and this knowledge is going to be power for you. Mm -hmm. It really is. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. The one last thing I did want to bring up was the other tool product that you've developed that can be a a huge help to people who are trying to get their feet under them when it comes to this, you know, financial management, uh, financial literacy, whatever you'd like to call it. And that is your financial first aid kit. Can you just talk a little bit about that and what that provides as well? So the financial first aid kit came about when I was sitting in my office homebound during the first early months of the pandemic. And I was sitting there thinking, I have all this information, all this knowledge, and I can see the economy spiraling downward and people losing jobs and losing income and just feeling so frustrated because I have all this knowledge. What can I do to help people immediately? And that's where I came up with the financial first aid kit. And I cranked it out. Basically, it's a 45-minute video, and there's handouts that go with it, and it's all free. You can go to my website, newcashview.com, and find it under resources, I think. It might also be on the store page, but you're not going to pay for it because I don't think I should be charging for it. I think people should have access to it, 
And it's designed to help people who are in immediate financial distress right in this moment. Of course, it's not an easy thing to counsel individuals and to try to help give them hope when they are basically in a financial whirlwind. It's a hard thing to do. But what I can tell you is where there's a will, there's a way. And even in this dire economic time, there are things that you can do to get your feet back underneath you and to begin to get back on track. It's just something that you have to fix your mind toward and make make the commitment to every day putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward as best you can. And it's possible. You can do it. And there are a lot of things out there, a lot of tools out there that are designed to help people who are still struggling because of the pandemic. So it's out there. It's something that you can definitely work toward. And that's why I developed the financial first aid kit. And I strongly encourage you to go and have a look at it. It's free. It's not going to cost you anything. All right. Well, we will have a link to that with the podcast, along with links to some of these other things Mm -hmm. we've talked about, the joys talked about. I get the sense that this won't be the last time we discuss. No, I don't (laughs) think so. (laughs) Financial issues. This is a big topic. It's a big and an important topic. It is a big and important topic. And it's something that we kind of just glossed over Mm -hmm. in this episode. But I feel like when it's time for us to do another one, especially if folks have a lot of questions, then we'll, we can absolutely Mm -hmm. get in there and talk about it. Yeah. Maybe one time all we do is do a question answer thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we can look at it that way. So, Mm -hmm. all right. Well, Joy, thank you for all of this information, for sharing your knowledge, your years of experience around this topic. Mm -hmm. And I am sure that you've helped at least a dozen people just from the topics that we've talked about, the little tidbits that they can take away from this. So thank you so much for all of this. Certainly my pleasure. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Girlish Gurus. We hope you'll join us next time for a new, interesting, and fun topic. Be sure to check the description of this episode for any links or information about the episode's topics and to find us on our social media platforms. And don't forget to download this episode, give it a good review, and share it with your girlfriends. The more interaction we get, the more episodes we can post. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.